Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. You are listening to a Yisker sermon by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. Conversations during COVID have often strayed from the expected in format and in content, in style and in tone. So I probably shouldn't have been surprised that I had an electric toothbrush in my mouth during what I thought was a casual post-Shabbat phone call when my mom dropped the question, do you think you'll want to join us to scatter grandma's ashes? My mom's parents were both staunchly secular Jews who moved from Philadelphia in 1950 to settle with their family in Los Angeles. They were pious about pieces of their American Yiddishkeit, locks and bagels on Sunday, uh, their mahjong hosting rotation, and baseball, although it was a mixed marriage, Dodgers and Angels. Parts of our family have been in Los Angeles long enough to have plots at Eden, marked by dusky, well-sunken plaques in some of the much older sections. But my grandma and papa, they had certain plans going back years before their respective deaths to donate their bodies to science. The programs that they chose would culminate in cremation, which opened the doors to questions about where they would be interred or buried or scattered. They had chosen a pathway out of the world, but not a final resting place. Where we are buried matters. Jewishly, we attach ourselves to the notion that we will claim a piece of earth in perpetuity and that we can count on those who survive us to make visits to that place. The sacred nature of of sanctity there, the Kohenitic priestly holdback from stepping amongst graves, the not partaking in basic eating and drinking lest we ridicule the deceased or do in a cavalier fashion something that they no longer can. The wrenching, perfect solemnity of that trickling march that some of us have participated in behind the hearse as a crowd accompanies the deceased to their grave. When I pass through a cemetery, what I love most are the quiet signs of those who have visited and left marks of their having passed through. Everyone who comes to a cemetery for a visit is, I think, keeping a promise. Maybe it's to themselves, or maybe it's to the one they're visiting, or maybe it's to someone else to whom they've sworn they'll make this trip. The unassuming collection of pebbles atop gravestones draw wonderment from me, this wandering third party 
who has now been invited into the story of a character who once walked the earth. They were buried and they have not been forgotten because now my eyes are passing over their matseva, their gravestone, wondering who they were and who remembers them. They still have a place in the world. When my family first shared the news of my grandparents' wishes regarding bodily donation and the likelihood that this would lead to cremation rather than traditional burial, I wrestled with my spiritual response and with my own religious discomfort. At the time, my grandfather was losing his battle with colon cancer, and I was living on the other side of the country. I felt distant. I was distant from them and from their decisions. I reached out to my dear mentor, Rabbi Scott Meltzer, who shared a piece of poignant Torah, which I sat and I learned from Rabbi Gila Dror. I learned from her now 20-year-old tshuva, her rabbinic responsum, on full-body donation, that the Masority movement has long embraced post-mortem study even on Jewish individuals. Lest, lest we Jews in general, lest Israelis in particular, only seek to learn from non-Jewish cadavers. She embraced the broadest read of Pikuach Nefesh as it pertains to what we learn from cadaver study, which is that, quote, today, every patient in the world is in front of us, meaning that in today's fully globalized world, doctors who learn from cadaver study might save lives anywhere, anytime in the future as a result of such study. The response even went so far as to address the nature of avelut, of Jewish formal grief in such cases, with advisement as how one would go about observing, even in the case that the body has not been returned to the family. But Rabbi Dror ends her tshuva with a clear directive that such study should, lahatchila, a priori, always end with an appropriate, complete, and non-destructive interment of the When I seek to make sense and order of the world, I look to ritual, and I look to Jewish law, to halacha. My grandfather was dying, and there was ostensibly nothing I could do about that. But I could understand better and where and how my tradition would advise me to understand where he belonged. German orthodoxy is the source of most modern rulings prohibiting the burial of cremated remains in Jewish cemeteries, about which you might have heard. But I found plenty of other sources that supported burial of Jewish cremated remains as well. Enoch Erentro, in his work Cheker Halacha, and Simon Deutsch, in his work Orha Emet, they both testified that ashes were in fact buried in Frankfurt in the Jewish cemetery with permission of Azriel 
Hildesheimer, who was the leader of German Orthodoxy in that same time, and Elijah Benamozeg, who is rabbi of Ligorn, Italy, he wrote in Ya'aneva Ish that while cremation is prohibited, it's nevertheless a duty to bury the ashes. I saw in these sources, many of them compiled by Rabbi Gerald Raskin, the desire to emplace the deceased somewhere, to have a destination to visit, to erect a gravestone, to set a pile of pebbles where they might collect and be seen and warrant someone passing by and noticing a promise being kept. Decades ago, on a class trip to Washington, D.C., one that some of you might have made as well, I remember standing at attention in the hot noon sun as representatives from our school laid a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. What I loved then, as I love now about that place and its ritualistic nature, is the commitment to the Schrodinger's box of the situation therein, that the guards do not display ranks on them so as not to inadvertently outrank those who lie below since even their ranks are unknown. And what I've come to understand and appreciate so deeply is the two-directionality of the place. For those who were actually exhumed and reinterred in that tomb, it is a place of dignity. And for all those who do not have a place to visit their loved ones anywhere, the tomb gives them a place to visit. A place that is the epitome of stateliness and honor. In another tomb across the world, half a lifetime later, I attended a lecture on the burial practices of Second Temple Jerusalem, Second Temple Judaism. Our professor held up a limestone box. It was a few feet long, and he explained that this was an ossuary. It's a box in which bones were emplaced, once a body had been given its first burial. The idea of a Jewish secondary burial, the concept of exhumation and reinterment, seemed alien and anathema to traditional approaches now in Judaism. That is, except for what I know and love of the story of Jacob's beloved son, Joseph, whose request to have his bones carried up and gathered unto his people, is then carried out by Moses' generation. This is precisely what was meant by that request, that Yosef's long-buried bones will be brought back to the land he loved in such a design and considered sacred, gathered up, gathered back, gathered together with his people. They would have understood this and this practice. There is a natural human discomfort built into this story, in Yosef's sadness, his wistfulness and longing, as he knows he will be buried at least at first, so far from the land where his people are destined to reside for eternity, and perhaps to visit him. We see that discomfort in the sworn 
oath preserved in our text. Yosef's insistence that he was not forgotten. And he wasn't forgotten. But how? There's a Midrash Agadah, a story that's preserved in Talmud Sota. That Sarah, who is the daughter of Yosef's brother, Asher, survived even until the generation of Moshe so that she could perform the miracle of locating his remains so that they could be returned to Eretz Yisrael. In this story, Sarah is the stand-in, the mythical, midrashic stand-in for every touch point that every one of us has with a person, every place and every way in which they are remembered beyond the singular place where their body is interred or where their gravestone is erected. Sarah but Asher, she is the feeling you get when the kugel tastes just right, all peppery, just like your mom used to make it. Or the way you remembered to change your oil, just like your dad would have wanted you to, that's her. That's eternal memory, not linked to a place. She is the beautiful plaque you had installed in our new hall of memories, shimmering behind the opaque veil that hangs across from the preserved Holocaust wall, where perhaps you'll come and visit next High Holy Day season. She is the cheer emerging from your throat when you're watching the game. And it's almost like they're on the couch next to you in their spot. The one that will always be theirs beyond their lifetime. When we arrive in someone's home upon the start of Shiva, we offer the words of comfort, Hamakom yinachem etchem. We call upon God, Hamakom, the place to comfort you. You might think the place of comfort would be the kever, the grave, the place where we intend to return to visit our loved one. But the place, the place of comfort, the places where memories love and where our loved ones are revivified as their breathy memories tap on our shoulders in sensory Moments of pleasure or sadness or longing, all of those things happen pretty much anywhere and everywhere but the grave. They happen in the middle of a grocery aisle or halfway through a nap when we aren't quite awake and we forget for half a second about our losses. I had another grandfather, one who lived until nearly 103, And it was his custom to visit the cemetery in Syracuse where our family was buried on almost a weekly basis. He would bring the names of those with yard sites, collecting from everyone who was infirm or otherwise unable to visit. And he would go say an El Male over the respective gravestone. It was a solemn, holy practice, one that I admired deeply. And Judaism is ripe with practices that draw us on occasion to be with our loved ones at their graves, at burial, at unveiling the Shabbat before Yom Kippur. But we do not need to be with our loved ones 
for our loved ones to be with us. Yisker, in particular, is a time for us to invite our loved ones to return to us in memory, in spirit, in a sense of accompaniment as we long for them and miss them, wish for them to feel near, in a kind of eternal synchronicity of the universe, I think that we are collectively yearning at Yiskor for an ingathering after death. I want to gather my loved one back to me, to collect them in my bones, in my heart, in my spirit. Today is a gloriously divine setting in time. It is an extra helping of Chag, of Simcha, of Atzeret, gathering one in which God asks to linger with us a little bit longer, Ashmini Atzeret. On this Chag Hashmini Atzeret Hazeh, gather in the ones you love. Ask them to linger with you in this place. Hamakom yinachem etchem. And may this Yisker tent be one that offers you comfort as memories, as loved ones, linger with you among the mourners of Zion and Israel. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.